Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just, I love that second song that we were singing just through the, the trying to figure out the sound and, and all that. Just the battle is, is His, and if we're going to do any fighting, we're going to do it on our knees. Um, thank goodness that the battle is not ours. I don't know about you, but I've been checking my bank account pretty regularly this past week um, because I'm waiting for two promises to be filled. One of them um, is from the U.S. government. They promised me this stimulus check that I haven't seen yet, and so I'm waiting for that little bump in my, my bank account. The other one is a huge bump that I'm, I've been promised, and I don't know if you got the same email or not, but I got an email um, that there's this Nigerian prince who has got multi-million dollars. He's just waiting to send me. Um, and so I keep checking my bank account because I know it's got to be true because all I've got to do to get this millions of dollars is that he's just in a tight spot. He just needs either a little bit of money to help him out or he needs my bank account information. One of those two, and he's going to just flood my bank account with millions and millions of dollars. Um, I don't know if, if any of you else got that email or not, but that's the reason I've been checking uh, my bank account um, because as soon as that does, I'm going to be honest with you, I love all of you. All right, but as soon as that million dollars or multi-million dollars comes through, you're not going to see me for a while. All right, I'm just going to be honest with you. And if if you um, probably got the same email, then you need to go ahead and pay off, um, or don't even worry about paying off debts. You don't even need to worry about your bills or anything like that because you're going to have so much money that you should just walk into your office tomorrow and tell your boss what you really think of them um, because you're not going to need that paycheck anymore. The reality is that those. Um, there's just so much that uh, you're going to be flooded with. And maybe your email or fax, maybe it didn't come from a Nigerian prince. Maybe yours came from a distant relative. Or maybe it uh, came from some wise investor. Or the one we get here a lot on the fax machine is that um, we are descendants of, we have a, a family member who has passed away. And because we have a last name that matches, apparently we're the only people with the same last name in the whole country. Because I've never heard of this guy. But apparently our last name matches. And so we're entitled to his entire estate which is millions of dollars and all we got to do is uh, just send this little bit of money uh, or this account information and we're going to have tons of money in return and most of us uh, we laugh at that and we think who in the world would ever fall for something like that who, who in their right mind would ever think that this could happen but I want to share some numbers with you in 2018 Americans just one year lost 26 million dollars to scams Almost $1 million alone to the Nigerian print scam. Did you hear that? In one year, people lost almost a $1 million to this Nigerian prince who's been waiting for my $1,000 for a while. And it's estimated that these victims of financial scams lost between $3,000 and $8,600 apiece, depending on what kind of scam they were involved in. Dr. Frank Andrews, the professor at Knox College, says that often these scams work because they play um, on this perfect storm of temptation. One of the first things they do is they play on our desire to be a hero. I mean, almost every one of these schemes, it's always this promise that if you give them money, the money's going to go help someone that's in a hard spot, that you're really just doing them a favor. You're helping somebody out who just needs a little boost. So you're going to be a hero. But the bigger draw of the scheme is honestly this lure of easy money. And the, the, the victims are promised that they're going to have this hefty financial profit and they have to do so little to get it. That they're gonna, their life is going to be totally changed and they don't have to do anything. Unfortunately, these scams aren't going away anytime soon. So check your spam folders because they're going to be there. The FBI has reported that over the past three years, 
they've seen a 7% increase in these type of email scams, which tells me that these scams are working more than they used to. Because what the FBI is, told, is telling folks is, listen, these scams would stop if people would stop falling victim to them. As long as they keep working, then people are going to start keep using them. So if they're using them seven times more, or 7% more, means that people are falling for these scams more than they used to. There's this lure of easy money uh, that as long as it happens, there's, there's going to be victims to this scheme. There's going to be people that use it. And so as we dig a little deeper in the book of Proverbs this morning, we made it to verse 8 in our stepping through the book of Proverbs, uh, we're going to find that this lure of easy money comes with a whole uh, gamut of problems. It comes with this, this whole situation. And so we're going to listen to the words of wisdom this morning in Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8 and read through verse 19. Uh, and he's going to reveal to us the dangers of the lure of easy money. So starting in verse 8, you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. The words will be on the screen uh, on the sides of me or, or on the, your screen if you're watching online. But verse 8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. And don't reject your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of grace on your head and a gold chain around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. If they say, come with us, let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, still healthy as they go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll all share the money. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path because their feet run towards trouble and they hurry to commit murder. It is foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it. But they set an ambush to kill themselves and they attack their own lives. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly and take the lives of those who, excuse me, it takes the lives of those who receive it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, for words of wisdom. Uh, God, we thank you that the battle really does belong to you, that we don't have to, to fight it, God. We simply have to stand or bow on our knees and let you handle it for us. And so, God, I pray that over this past week and over this week to come, God, that we will realize, God, that the battle belongs to you. It is not ours. And God, in the moments that we share in this time, God, I pray that the battle is raging. And we know this battle is raging uh, because the enemy is, is attacking people sitting here in this room. The enemy is going to attack folks that are sitting at home watching this. Uh, God, they are bombarded with these voices of temptation. And so, God, I pray that you speak these words of wisdom to us. God, I pray that we will be wise enough to, to heed the advice. God, I pray that we won't reject the wisdom that you have for us this morning. So, God, I pray that you speak. I pray that we are open to hear your instructions and your teachings. And God, I pray that it will not only just be music to our ears, but it will transform our hearts, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several months ago, I went to a store and I had finished checking everything out. And I, I did the next, th next thing. I pull out my credit card and I go to scan my credit card and it pops up, declined. I said, like, well, that's odd. Maybe, just, maybe I scanned it too fast or something like that. So I tried to swipe it again or I tried to put it in the chip reader again and it pops up, declined. 
I can't be. I mean, I've, this, something's got to be wrong with this. So I did what everybody else probably does. Maybe I'm the only person that does this. If something's wrong with the credit card, I took it out of the machine. <laughs> I blew on it. I wiped it on my pant leg really quick, kind of like you used to do with the old CDs and DVDs or like the old Atari and Nintendo games where you had to blow on them because, you know, that made all the difference in the world. But that's what I did with my card. And then I was like, okay, so now it's cleaned off. Maybe just got some gunk on it. I put it back in the machine thinking this was going to work, and it still came up, declined. And this is so odd to me because I just used this card just a couple of days ago. I just used this card, and I know the bill had been paid. I know that, uh, that uh, there's a limit on it, but I know I was nowhere near, and I know we hadn't missed any payments or anything like that. So unfortunately, or fortunately, I had another way to pay for the stuff, and so I went ahead and bought the stuff and paid for it another way, and I headed out the door. But the situation just didn't seem right. So something was wrong about this situation. Like There's no reason in my mind that this card should be declined. So I flipped the card over, and there's a number on the back. So I called that number, and I said, Hey, I was trying to use my card at the store, and it came up declined. It wouldn't let me use this card. And the lady said, Well, let me do some checking. And she asked me all the account information and stuff like that. And she came back on. She said, Yes, we, we know um, that you tried to use your card, but we put a freeze on that account. And I said, well, that's news to me. I didn't know there was anything frozen on my account, but can I ask why? And she said, well, there were some charges on my card that seemed a little out of the ordinary, and so they put a freeze on it uh, to keep anybody else from using the card. And so all I had to do was verify that these purchases were made, that I'm the one who made these purchases. And I said, sure, no problem. She said, yeah, if you'll do this, then we'll reactivate your card and we'll just go on with life. And I said, okay, so tell me what the charges are. So she said, there's three that we want you to verify. And so she told me the first one. It was this charge on this date to this place, and this was the amount. And I said, yep, check, that's me. So she gave me the second one. This place, this date, this amount, this, this was what you bought. I said, yeah, sure, that was me, no problem. And then she got to the third one. And the third one she told me, she said, this is the place, this is what it was, this is how much it was for. And I said, whoa, can you, can you repeat that to me again? And so she did. She gave me the exact same information. I said, ma'am, I, I, I didn't make that charge. I, I don't even know what that company is. I've never heard of that company. And I even Googled them as, as I was talking with her. And I, I don't even know that that company exists. And they said, well, that's kind of what we thought too. So that's the reason we put a freeze on your account. That's the reason we did this. She said the account was frozen. This is a safeguard we have in place to prevent either further activity on your card or prevent fraud if somebody is making charges on your card that's not you. And I said, well, I, I'm, I, I appreciate you doing that. The problem is that no one told me that there was this freeze on my account. So the problem was I thought my account was fine. And I went to the store and I got ready to do this and I couldn't do it. And so I said, it was just really kind of inconvenient that, that you would freeze my account and not tell me that. And she said, well, sir, we understand there's this inconvenience and we understand that, that might be a problem for you, but we put these safeguards in place for your protection but I do have to tell you that you have the option of having them removed. But I need to warn you about this. If you remove these safeguards, one, it limits our ability to protect you and kind of detect fraudulent activity. But two, if there is any other fraudulent activity on your card, you are personally responsible for it from this moment on. We won't protect you and we won't cover it and we won't, we won't protect you and we won't cover the cost of it anymore. It is totally on you. And to which I said... I think that safeguard sounds like a very wise idea. You just leave that in place, okay? You just leave it right where it's at. I understand it is there for my protection. I understand that, that it is a good idea, and I'll take the little inconvenience. You see, at that moment, I had a choice between listening to this voice of wisdom who was giving me sound advice 
or listen to myself who was just inconvenienced and didn't want it to be that way anymore. And so I had this choice to make between which voice I was going to listen to. And ultimately, as we walk through the book of Proverbs, this is what is kind of presented to us over and over and over again. We have this choice to listen to voices of wisdom or to voices of temptation or voices that are going against what we are told to believe. And so uh, we find that throughout the book of Proverbs, but especially here in this middle section of chapter 1, uh, this option of listening to the voices of wisdom. And so we want to be clear that, that we want to know what a voice of wisdom sounds like versus a voice of temptation. So in verse 8, Solomon reminds us of these two voices of wisdom that are available to us. In verse 8, he says, Listen, my son, to your father's instructions, and don't reject your mother's teaching. Now, this is interesting because about seven different times throughout the book of Proverbs, we get this somewhat similar warning to not reject the wisdom or the instruction or the correction of our parents. In fact, if we connect it to the verse right before this, which we looked at last week in verse 7, the very last line of verse 7 uh, says that fools despise wisdom and discipline. The interesting thing is the end of verse 7, that word discipline, is the exact same Hebrew word that he uses here in verse 8 for instruction. All right? So discipline and instructions. And so if we connect these two things together, he says you would be foolish, or the fool is the one who's going to despise his father's instructions, his father's discipline. It is foolish for you to despise what you're, you're, the correction of your father and your mother. Now, be clear here. We are talking about godly parents. We're talking about parents that have wisdom uh, because they have a right view and a right relationship with God. Parents that, that have wisdom to give because they fear God and they have a reverence for God. Uh, that's what we saw in verse 7, because without this proper fear and reverence for God, they don't have any wisdom to give you, okay? So we're only talking about parents who have wisdom from God to give on their kids, that they can discern this voice of wisdom, and this voice of wisdom is, is kind of unable to, we're able to figure out if it's a voice of wisdom, because it always comes from a right relationship with God. The reason that you can listen to your father and your mother is because your father and your mother have a relationship with with their creator. A voice of wisdom is always going to have this right relationship. It's always going to lift God up. It's always going to live out of life. And the words, they're going to be in line with what those are of God. And so don't for, neglect these things. Don't be foolish and despise these things, is what he's telling you. Because if you listen to these instructions, and if you don't neglect these teachings, it comes with this great reward that we see in verse 9. In verse 9, he says, For they, the father's instructions and the mother's teachings, they are a garland of grace, or they will be a garland of grace on your head, and a gold chain around your neck. Now, obviously, the gold chain around your neck, that's a sign of wealth. But the garland around your head, it's a sign of honor and a sign of authority. And I want you to think back, uh, back to your school days when you uh, were talking about Rome and the Caesars and things like that. And think about the pictures you've seen of some of the Caesars of Rome. Some of the leaders of Rome, most of the time when you saw them, they had these little crowns on their head. Not like a, a big, huge metal gold crown like we see on monarchs in the, the Middle Ages. But typically their crown was either leaves or branches of some type. Right? And those were given to them because it was a sign of honor. But mostly those were given as a sign of victory. Right? They didn't just give those crowns to anybody. Those crowns of garland 
Instead, they gave them to people who had been through battle. They gave them to people who had been tested and tried. They gave them to people who earned those things, who withstood attacks, who were brave enough in the face of danger that stood against, and and they, they stood strong in the face of an obstacle that was in front of them. That's how you earned that garland that was put on your head. That's how you earned that honor. And so you didn't just give it. They didn't just give it to anybody. You had to earn it. And so what he's saying is that if you want the garland, if you want the honor and the wealth, then you're going to have to earn it over time. It's not just going to be given to you. You're going to have to be able to show that you're going to be able to stand up to the pressures. You're going to have to, uh, to prove that you can uh, stand the pressures of compromise, that you can stand strong against those things that are jeopardize your future just because something looks tempting right in front of your face. And so understand that there's this voice of discernment, and this discernment of wisdom always will bring you to something that's best for you in the long run. Right? So we can discern a voice of wisdom, one, because it comes from a place that fears God, but two, it's always looking for our best in the future. Right? It's always forward-looking. It's not looking short-term. It's not going to be what's going to make you happy right now. It's not going to be what's going to make you most excited right now. It's what's going to make you the best in the future. When I was younger, my grandmother had a great trend um, that I love now, but I didn't love then. When I was younger, my grandmother, for every birthday, gave us... A, um, a, a savings bond. And every other grandmother I knew gave their kids toys, except my grandmother. Okay? And, and, and my grandmother gave us this piece of paper that had absolutely no value to it whatsoever at that moment. Except in 11 years from that moment, it was going to be worth more than she had paid for it. Right? So in my mind as a kid, this was the dumbest thing ever. Why in the world wouldn't you just give me a toy? A toy is what I want right now. A toy is what I need. A toy is going to make me the happiest kid in the world. And you gave me a piece of paper that I've got to set on for 11 years. Can I tell you that I thought that was the craziest thing ever? But looking back over the wisdom that was involved in my grandmother, because... After years of setting on those savings bonds, I was able to pay off student loans and help put a down payment on a house. See, my grandmother was wise because she was looking to my future and what was best for my future, not for my right now. Voices of wisdom will always be looking out for what is best for your future, not just on right now. You see, voices of wisdom, they're not looking for the easy way. They're focused on a way of integrity. They're not looking for something clever and catchy. They're focused on a character and morality. They're not focused on a rap response. They're focused on a reputation that you're going to build up over time. These morals and these integrities and the reputation, this becomes your garland of grace. This becomes the sign of honor that you get to wear and show off for the rest of your life because you didn't reject the father's instructions or the mother's teaching. You see, for us who are adults, I can't help but think about this. How different would our lives be if we'd have listened to our Father's instructions? How different would our lives be if we had not rejected our mother's teaching, if we hadn't disregarded the safeguards that they put in place just for us? How different would our life be if when we were younger, we didn't write them off so quickly, but instead we realized that they were looking out for what was best for us down the road? I wonder how different our life would have been. I wonder how much happier we could have been. I wonder how much healthier we could have been. I wonder how much uh, more honor and respect we could have had. And honestly, I wonder how much wealthier some of us could have been if we'd have listened to the wisdom of our parents instead of doing it our own way, instead of despising and rejecting those things. I wonder 
how different things would have been for some of us. You see, but there's good news. It's not too late. Even for us who are adults, we get the same promise of wealth and honor. But instead of listening to our parents, we have to listen to the ultimate voice of wisdom. We have to follow God's instructions. We have to not reject His law and His commands. And we have to receive the same reward because He is the one who provides all this wisdom and all this knowledge in the first place. So if we will follow the ultimate voice of wisdom, then what we'll find is that we have a loving Father who provides instructions for us because He's always looking out for what's best for us long term. Maybe not what makes us happy, maybe not what makes us most excited, but he's always looking for what's best for us down the road because that's what a father does. The ultimate voice of wisdom is not just our parents. It is the God who created us and the God who sustains us and the God who wants what's best for us, not just here and now, but for all of eternity as well. See, one of the things a great father does is that he warns you about these other voices that you're going to hear, these voices of temptation that are going to be around you, these voices that are around you and try to lure you in so many different directions. And these voices, they come in a huge variety of pitches and in volumes and sounds. In fact, they sing a different song for almost every individual. I want you to think for just a moment, what tempts me may not be a temptation for you. Even think back in your own life. What tempts you now may not be a temptation for you or nearly as strong for you in 30 years from now. What tempted you 30 years ago or 20 years ago is probably not the same thing that you're faced with right now. Maybe it is. Maybe the song's different. Maybe the pitch is different. Maybe the voice sounds a little different. But my guess is it changes over time. You see, in verse 10 through 14, it mentions some very specific temptations that are particular to a... a particularly strong to a young man. Solomon kind of paints this picture. He's talking to his son here, and he paints this picture of his son being young and this group of people coming to him and, and trying to get them to join him. All right, Come join us and come be with us. But this group really has terrible intentions. They are really set out to do some bad things. We're going to work through that in just a second. But they've got this lure that they're trying to hold out for this, this man Solomon's son. And so as we work through this, some of these things may be true temptations for you. Some of them may not be. But what we get as we work through this is how to determine if something is a voice of wisdom or a voice of temptation. These are kind of patterns that we can see of how these voices of temptation work, not just in specific, but kind of in general. And so one of the first ways that we can identify a voice of temptation is that it often comes in groups. There's this element of peer pressure involved in it, this kind of gang mentality that says, hey, hey, we're all in this together, that, that if you're not one of us, you're a nobody, and then if, if you're not one of us, then you're really missing out. Right? I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people that fall to a voice of temptation because it's involved with a group. Right? I'll be honest with you, it, maybe it's just a guy thing, but guys, if we're honest, we tend to dumb down in groups, right? Like, we will do things when there's a group of people around, when one of us says, hey, I bet you won't do this. That any other time, if we were by ourselves, we'd be like, you're absolutely right, I won't do that, okay? I'm not that dumb. But you put a guy in the mix of four or five other guys, and one of them says, I dare you to do this, you won't do this. Oh, yes, I will. And we'll just dumb down because we're part of this group. Right? I don't know if it happens to ladies or not. I can't speak to ladies. I'm sure you're too far above and advanced beyond that. Um, but for us guys, that's what happens for us. And that's what we see here in verse 10. He says in verse 10, he says, My son, if sinners entice you, 
Don't be persuaded. I want you to notice he uses the plural form of the word sinners there. In fact, he uses it through the rest of this section. If they, they will say this, they will say that. This idea that there's not just one sinner, but there's lots of sinners. There's this whole group that's coming to entice you. And they're all in this together. And so the word to entice literally means to open up a way for you. Okay, So the idea that he's kind of painting is that, hey, listen, there's going to be this group that's going to open up a way. They're going to open up the door and invite you in to join them. And when they open up that door, that's the invitation because what they're really saying is, hey, the party's in here and you're out there missing out. All the cool kids are in here and you're on the outside. We're going to open up the door and we're going to let you be part of the cool kids club for a little while. Right? Come on in, because everybody that's anybody is in here. This is where that's happening. This is where all the fun's at. This is where your friend's at. This is where everybody at school's at. This is where all your office colleagues are at. And if you stand out there, I mean, you're going to miss out. And there's this temptation that speaks to our need to be part of something, to be part of a group or part of a community. There's this temptation that we have not to be left out or left alone. And so these voices of temptation know that, and so they speak to that. And they say, listen, man, you are not part of anything if you're out there by yourself. Come on in here. We're going to open the doors up wide and be part of us. You see, the easiest way to resist a voice of temptation to get you into the wrong group is to already be in a group. You see, the easiest way to resist the temptation of a sinner who's trying to get you to sin as part of a group is to be part of a different group that's going to pull you in a different direction. To be part of an active community that's going to entice you to follow God closer. To be part of a church family or a small group or an accountability group that's going to say, hey, you don't want to be part of that group. Come over here. Be part of our group. And so if you're in part of a group, then you're not standing on the street by yourself trying to listen to which voice you want to be part of because you're already in a group. They're not looking to bring the whole group in. They just want you in. So understand that the easiest resistance that you have against peer pressure is to be in a group that's already pulling you in the direction you want to be instead of the wrong direction that you shouldn't be going in in the first place. You see, we see this over and over and over that this group is really um, going in the wrong direction. We see it because they are very quick to devalue someone else. And that's the second characteristic of a voice of of temptation, that it devalues other people. He warns his, uh, Solomon warns his son, listen, don't join this group. Don't be persuaded by them. So let me back up for just a moment in verse 10. Notice that the enticement is not the problem. This is going to happen. Temptation's going to be out there. That's not the sin. The sin is when you join in the temptation. The sin is when you are persuaded to join in it. All right. And this temptation they have, man, they've got some evil intentions. Look in verse 11 with me. He says, the young man, he tells him, he says, or the group's going to tell the young man, come with us. Let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. A different translation would say, let's wait for blood and attack someone for no reason. This group is literally looking to kill someone just for the sport of it, just because they can, just for the fun and the thrill that they're going to have in their life. In other words, what they're saying is that the life of this person means nothing. That this person has absolutely no value whatsoever. The only reason this person exists is for my pleasure and my entertainment. And once that's over and done with, this person doesn't need to exist anymore. Once I have no use for this person, this person doesn't need to exist. And so I'm going to use this person. I'm going to use this person for my enjoyment, my entertainment, and then I'm going to be done with them. But the truth is, you wouldn't even treat an animal that way. 
Yeah, you may kill an animal, but if you do, most likely you've got a purpose for it. You're going to kill an animal for meat, or you're going to kill an animal for fur, or you're going to kill an animal because it's a nuisance and it's killing your livestock, or you may even kill an animal to help control the animal population or for some reason. But chances are you've got a reason for killing that animal. You, you don't just kill it for no reason whatsoever, just for entertainment purposes. You see, what he's saying is that these people are going to look at another person and treat them worse than they would treat an animal. That's what temptation does. It gets us to view people as less than they really are. It devalues people so they become more of an object for our entertainment and for our pleasure than for anything else. You see, what it wants you to do is view them as an item instead of an image bearer of God. It wants you to view them as worthless rather than a beautiful masterpiece of the Creator. It wants you to view them as something that is less valuable than you. You see, the voices of temptation are always going to say that you are better than someone else. And that someone else only exists for your pleasure and for your purposes. And once you've used them for that, just get rid of them. The voices of temptation will always devalue those who bear the image of God because they're always looking to, to make yourself feel better. And understand, those voices, they don't come from someone who fears God because they have no value and wisdom to share with you. There's one more characteristic of the voice of temptation that we see in this passage. And it's simply this, that it always seeks after the easy route. It always seeks the easy money, if you will. There's always this big promise in exchange for some little or no effort. This big reward and yet no sacrifice required. We see it in verse 13 and verse 14. You see, after they look to kill this person for fun then they're just going to throw him in a pit. They're just going to throw him in the grave. And, and then they're going to go raid his house. All right? And then in verse 13, they're going to take all his stuff. In verse 13, it says, We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. And continue in verse 14. And throw in your lot with us, and we will all share the, our money. We'll all share. So, so you become part of us. We're going to have this huge fortune. You just throw in a little bit and, and you're going to be so wealthy. Right? We're going to split it all. We're all going to be even. We're all going to be split together. And, and all you have to do is join us and every one of your dreams is going to come true. All you got to do is just have a little bit and everything else is going to fall into place. Man, you're not going to have to work for it. You're not going to have to wait for it. You're never going to have to worry about another bill in your life. You're not going to have to worry about uh, how you're going to pay this or how you're going to pay it. You're going to get all the wealth and all the reward and none of the work required to do it. You're, you're going to get all the glory and none of the sacrifice. You're going to get all the promises and none of the, the temptation, none of the struggles that it takes to get what that guy got. To, or all, did to get all that stuff. You see, this is the promise of the voice of temptation. And the truth is that it's been happening for thousands of years. You see, this is the same temptation that Satan uses for Jesus. When Jesus is in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus is in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him a couple of times. The third time he comes to him and takes him up on top of this huge mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms and all the plunder or all the wealth of those kingdoms. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 9, he says to Jesus, Satan tells Jesus, he says, I will give you all of these things if you fall down and worship me. Jesus, I'll give you all the glory that you want. I'll give you all the wealth of this world, and you can have it all without going to the cross. You can have all the power and the wealth without the pain and the suffering. Jesus, you can do it God's way if you want to. You're going to get power. You're going to get glory. You're going to get wealth. You're going to do all that stuff. You can do it God's way. But listen, it's going to take you a long time to do it. It's going to be very painful. It's going to be very difficult to do it. I can do it a lot quicker for you. All you got to do, Jesus, is just take this little bitty shortcut that I've got. 
And 2,000 years later, Satan is still telling that same line. He's still using that same temptation. You can have it all. You can have your house full of wealth. You can have your house full of everything. It just takes this little bitty shortcut. It just takes this little shortcut. Then all your problems will be taken care of. Just just this little bitty shortcut. And you'll never have to worry about money again. Just this little bitty shortcut. And all your bills will be paid. All your worries will be gone. Just this little bitty shortcut. Just this little compromise. All the wealth and none of the work. All the glory and none of the pleasure. It's really just that easy. You see, this is the shortcut that is the lure of easy money. This is the shortcut that the reason the people lost almost a million dollars last year to the Nigerian prince. This is the shortcut that causes people to cheat on their taxes. This is the shortcut that causes people to seek dishonest profit. This is the shortcut that says that you can gain it all and do none of the work. But this whole section is a warning to this young man and to us that there's a danger any time that you think something's going to come that easy. You see, I don't know if I would consider him a voice of wisdom or not, but the comedian Gary Busey understood this danger very well, and he summed it up pretty easy. He said simply this, if you take shortcuts, you're going to get cut short. I don't know if he got that from the book of Proverbs, but it's the same warning the father gives his son, starting here in verse 15. He pleads with his son. He says, my son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path. In verse 16, he continues. He says, don't travel this road because their feet run towards trouble and they hurry to commit murder. They're looking for a shortcut. They're, they're looking to take a shortcut to the wealth. They're looking, to, they're, they're looking for the same goal you are. They want wealth. They want honor. But they're just looking for a shortcut to do it. And listen, the, those who take shortcuts, Cuts, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get cut short. There's going to be a problem for you if you try to do this. And so he uses this analogy in verse 17. He says it's foolish in verse 17 to spread a net where any bird can see it. And if you're trying to catch a bird, you don't spread out the net in the middle of a field where all the birds are sitting around. Because even a bird is smart enough to know, hey, there's a net there and that's dangerous. Even a bird is smart enough to know that if you have a net in the middle of the field and you take a pile of food and set it in the middle of it, hey, that food looks good, that food looks tempting. But even a bird's not dumb enough to go after that food because he sees the net. He sees the trap around it. And so what he's really looking at his son is saying, son, aren't you smarter than a bird? Don't you realize that this huge temptation that's right in front of you is really set in the middle of this net that's going to trap you if you go into it? Aren't you smart enough as a bird to see this trap that's set for you? And the bait is the easy money that they've set right there in the middle of it. Even a bird knows better than this. Even a bird has more common sense than this. A bird is smart enough to stay away from that net because he knows that he's just going to get caught. He's just going to get tangled up and it's going to be the end of the bird. Son, listen to me. When you hear these voices of temptation, don't fall into them. Don't give into the peer pressure. Don't be lured away by the easy money and the big promises because the promises never work out like the way they say they're going to. There's never such thing as an easy money. It's never going to work. You're just going to get caught. And you're going to get caught in your own net that's going to lead to your destruction. In verse 18, he puts it this way. He says, but they set an ambush to kill not somebody else. Notice this, to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Ultimately, their plan to kill somebody and take their stuff is going to end up, they're going to lose their own life. And he gives this final warning in verse 19. He says, such are the paths of all those who seek or make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. You see, the lure of easy money is the trap that people fall for. It's what causes some people to murder. 
It's what some causes some other people to rob other people. The lure of easy money is what causes people to cheat the numbers or just fudge just a little bit, just to, to take a little shortcut. The lure of easy money is honestly what causes every person to spend their grocery money on the lottery instead of the groceries. It's what causes people to miss their medication because they've got a, a Nigerian prince that just needs a couple thousand dollars and then all of it's going to go away. You see, it never delivers on its promise and it always, always, always ends in heartache. I read a story about a man named Bud Post this past week. Bud won a lottery and he won it because he spent his absolute last dollar. He had no other money to his name. He spent his last dollar. Didn't have any other money. This Didn't have any grocery money. This was it. He spent it on a lottery ticket because he knew the promise was going to be true. Well, guess what? It did. He won $16 million. You're talking about a man who, who spent his last dollar buying a ticket and won $16 million. And guess what happened to Bud? Everything in life went perfect after that. Man, roses were just scattered everywhere. He had the greatest life, everything. I'd love to tell you that was the story of Bud, but that's not. You see, Bud got caught in the trap of easy money. He got caught in the only net that he, he's, he's scattered out there that he was going to have this easy lifestyle. Within a couple years, Bud was broke. And even before he went broke... His life was threatened because a couple of members of the family had hired hitmen to come and kill him so they could get his wealth. Isn't it interesting that what he thought was going to happen so easy, what he thought was so easy and problem-free, ended up being the biggest problem of his life. In fact, the quote that Ned would leave you, or excuse me, not Ned, Bud would leave you with is simply this, I wished it never happened. It was a total nightmare that ruined my life and almost caused my death. See, Bud became so entangled in the net, and he was caught simply by the lure of easy money because it promised one thing but delivered something else. You see, every voice of temptation is going to promise you one thing, but it's going to deliver something else. For some of you, the temptation is just what it is in this passage. For some of you, the temptation is be part of the crowd. For some of you, the temptation is seek a cheap thrill even if it's an expensive price. For some of you, the temptation is honestly go get the easy money that's out there. And all it's going to take is just a little bit. You can have all the wealth and all the power with no investment and no sacrifice. For some of you, that's the temptation. But for some of you, it may be something very different. But I can assure you this. The principle is the same in this passage as it is anywhere else. The temptation is never going to give you what it promises. It's always going to leave you being devoured and destroyed instead of what it promised you in the first place. Let's pray together.